that assumes I'm going to have to listen to the Lord. Um, you know, a, a few weeks back, uh, Dan and I were talking, and I said, you know, I can't remember exactly how the conversation went, but one of us asked the other, you know, what do you want to do for Valentine's Day? And uh, I think I, she asked that, and I, I responded, well, why don't we go to uh, TCF and go to a missions conference? I don't, she must have said after that, oh, that's so romantic. (laughs) I was thinking um, TCF has been faithful to us for almost as many years as Deanna has been faithful to me. Um, The difference is she has to put up with me every day, and you don't have to do that, so it means a little bit more that she's been faithful to me, but you are great to see. Uh, This is one of the few places I go where I come regularly, and I actually recognize people in the congregation, you know. Um, So many places I go and speak, I I've, I've, haven't been there, I haven't lived with them that long, and I don't know them, and they don't know me. But you know me, and I know most of you. Um, I'm so glad when I can see people I don't know here. That, that encourages me as well. Um, but it's great to be with you. Um, I had some things I wanted to say before I got into my message. One of them is thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. I know it hasn't always been easy, and you've made sacrifices, and we are very much aware of the sacrifices that you make so that we can do what we do, and uh, we're, we're blessed to have you as a supporting church. Um, I don't know, people, if, if, if some of you don't have a prayer card, feel free to get one back there. I also brought a few copies of, of my book, and I'll make that available to you back there for a cheaper price than you can get it online. If I have a suggested donation of $10, that helps me keep up with what these things cost and also to give away some. Um, I'd also ask you to pray. Can, can you pray with me about this book and how God would want to use it? I, I believe with all my heart that God led me in these studies and in, in publishing this book. And... I believe that somewhere God is going to use it to ignite revival. And I want you to pray with me about that. Um, You know, my name is not known. My book is not known. uh, I'm an unknown quantity. Um, So nobody's going to go looking for my books uh, online. So I, I, I need people to pray that this will be used where it can be used. Uh, I know it's being used in Africa because I'm there to push it. You know, I make my students study this, and it, and it changes their lives. It's changed my life. And so um, two things I would ask of you. One, to pray, and then if you have read this and you liked it, or even if you didn't like it, go to Amazon, look up the book, and write a review. Uh, it really makes a big difference if uh, people, if they see, you know, other people have read this and liked it and so forth, they'll read it too. Okay, enough on that. Um, a little bit about family, maybe. Hey, we can see these. Great. 
You heard we had snow in Atlanta, so I decided to capture it for you there. Big snow. I think we had almost two inches. And uh, <laughs> everything stopped, but we managed to get a picture. Now, Moses didn't want to be in this picture, as you can tell. So I thought I would give you a more angelic picture of Moses, our grandson. And we're so happy to live, be living this year when we're not traveling with our children in Atlanta, uh, all of them preparing to go someplace uh, to serve the Lord. Uh, Christian Peter to the Horn of Africa. Rachel uh, keeps changing her mind exactly where. I think anywhere other than the United States would be fine for her. Um, she's a joy to live with this year. Daniel and Kim, of course, are, are in the Middle East, and we thought you needed pictures of some of the cutest grandbabies in the world. So there's Eva and John Valor there as well. Uh, a few years back, quite a few years back, actually, uh, my son was uh, getting ready to go to college, and he lived in the Atlanta area for a while and worked at this place, which is the world of Coca-Cola. It's a museum in Atlanta, and you can go in there and find all about Coca-Cola. Now, uh, this is one of the favorite places in there. This is kind of fun. You go up to these counters, and you punch in uh, what drink you want. You can see some of the drinks there in the background. Let's say you want a Sprite, uh, you know. Us old people like me, we like Sprite because it doesn't have the caffeine in it. And uh, then you uh, punch it in, and all of a sudden a, a fountain will come out of that, and it will kind of go across the room several different directions. And then it turns up in your cup in front of you, and you can drink it. I don't think it's the actual stuff that came out back there, but it kind of looks like it. You know, it goes from one place to the next. and then So that's a kind of an interesting place there. Well, why, why do I want to talk about Coca-Cola today? You know, it's sold in almost every country in the world. Um, the Coca-Cola lo logo is recognized by between 94 and 96 percent of the population of this world. Um, the average person <laughs> in the world consumes a Coca-Cola product every four days. Every person in the world, average person in the world. And I don't think they were calculating animals in that, but I thought you would enjoy the picture. Uh, the annual revenue for Coca-Cola is uh, above $35 billion. That makes them the 84th largest economy in the world, just after Costa Rica. 80% uh, of that revenue comes from markets outside the United States. If you include the bottling companies, they employ 700,000 people in this world. In fact, I looked on their website, and there are two positions available in Cote d'Ivoire. Um, both Coca-Cola and the church are involved in worldwide expansion. And I want to come back to that, uh, to this, after we look a little bit about what Jesus says about this worldwide expansion. Now, you've heard of the Great Commission. This morning, I want to look briefly at the five Great Commissions, or five versions of the Great Commission, and then uh, a little more specifically at, at Matthew's version of this, which you heard already this morning. Uh, the first one, let's see here if we can got that. 
In John chapter 20, we read, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So we have, I've tried to underline some of the important aspects of each version of this great commission. Uh, First of all, you have the idea that Jesus is our model. He's the one that did it first, and then we're just following him, trying to do what he did. Secondly, in this, you see a dependence on the Holy Spirit, absolute necessary dependence on the Holy Spirit. And finally, the, the main idea in what's happening is that we're bringing forgiveness, forgiveness of sins to the world. The second uh, version we find in uh, Luke chapter 24, verses 47 to 49. This version is a prophetic version. It's not uh, an order. It's a prophecy. It says, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Again, we uh, see the necessity for this power of the Spirit to get the job done. We also see that we are to be his witnesses. Here we find that this job is to take place among all nations. Forgiveness is again mentioned, but also repentance is a part of the equation. The third one, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, the idea that this is for the ends of the earth. This is for all nations. The power of the Holy Spirit that's necessary to get the job done, the fact that we are witnesses, some of the same ideas keep popping up. Let's look at Mark. Now, I know this one is probably not in the original version of the book of Mark, but it still represents a memory of what happened. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. And then there's a list of signs. Again, we have the idea that this is, this is not just a, to a local area. This is to the entire world. The good news is to be preached. Signs will follow. Again, the power of the Holy Spirit that needs to accompany this proclamation of, of the gospel. Finally, we come to Matthew. It's the one we just read earlier this morning. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The authority there, it's also another expression about the power that is necessary for this job. Here, Matthew clarifies a little bit about what we're to do. We're to make disciples, and again, it's to all nations. I want to summarize a little bit what, these, what we've seen in each of these. But first of all, I'd like to put it in context. Jesus spent about 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection. And in the first book of Acts, first few verses, uh, Luke tells us that he was, um, Jesus was sharing about the kingdom of God. Now, 
I would like to have had more information on those 40 days, wouldn't you? To know all these things that Jesus shared about the kingdom of God. Well, I've got some theories about it, but, you know, since it's not in the Bible, we can't really know. I have a feeling Jesus did a lot of review. Because all through the Gospels, the disciples didn't understand what he was saying. Uh, after the resurrection, it became a little bit easier to understand what Jesus was saying. And so I think most of what Jesus talked about was review. I've already told you about the kingdom of God. Now, and, and, he, and he gives us a little bit more in, to his disciples there. helps them to understand a little bit better. Um, but there is a subject that keeps coming up. We have five versions of it in the New Testament. It must have been important. Each one of those versions is a little bit different, but about the same at the same time. Talking about the same subjects and, 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 and the wording changes from gospel to gospel and in, in the book of Acts. Something Jesus must have said over and over and over again. I don't think he said it five times. I think he must have said it 50 times. Jesus wanted what he was doing to continue. To continue from generation to generation until his return. He uh, emphasized several things in this. And I want to uh, share more about what he um, talked about in Matthew. But first, let's just look at uh, kind of all of them together. First, there's the map. I'm going to use alliteration here. I hear that helps people remember things. The map. It's all over the place. Jesus sent us to the nations, all the nations. Um, you know that. I know that. Um, Coca-Cola has done a really good job of doing that. Actually, the church has not done too bad either. Um, our logo is probably not as well known as Coca-Cola, but uh, or or probably not as many people consume our product. But I think there's there's some things we can learn about it. Let's all over the place. I, I like this global because it makes Africa look big, which it really is. <laughs> You know, most of our maps make Africa not look so big, but Africa is so much bigger than you can imagine. I found this logo somewhere. Um, <laughs> I thought it represented pretty well the second one. The means. Jesus constantly brought up the means. Now, this is the one I usually like to preach on because I think it's, it, it's in all of it. That without the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't get the job done. Uh, there, there is no way. Friday evening, uh, at the when we were discussing, people kept bringing up uh, the the visions and the dreams and the healings and the deliverances that were necessary to bring people to Christ in the Muslim world. I don't think it's just the Muslim world that needs that. Your world needs that too. Um, I have my theories on this as well. You know, you, you, you need to listen to what I say about the scriptures because the scriptures are God's word. Uh, you can listen if you want to what I have, to, my theories. Um, Jesus, first of all, came to uh, the nation of Israel. And if I think about it, that was a pretty smart move. 
it was much easier, even though it was very difficult for Jesus to be understood in Israel, it was much easier because of all the previous revelation. Uh, there was so much preparation before Jesus came to enable a people to understand who he is and what he has done. Uh, if Jesus had come to India first, he would probably be added to the list of gods. Uh, if Jesus had, had come to many other places first, the, the, there, it would be much more difficult to establish that first church that has its backing and its roots in the word of God, in the revelation that God had already given. But once that is established, then it can spread to the nations. Once there is this church that's built upon the word of God and the prophets and the, and the, and the entire word of God, then it's much more easier for the, the church not to become just a, a syncretism. We still manage to do it most of the time, but um, the idea that we need to go to the nations is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the message? That's the third thing that's in the, all of these is there's something about the message. Um, one of the things that is mentioned only once here is repentance. Um, unfortunately, uh, most of evangelism and most of missions uh, have missed this, this essential key element to winning the nations for Christ, to discipling the nations, is repentance. Uh, I remember when I, I was first attending TCF and Chuck Fair uh, would talk about this, that uh, we, have, we have gospel tracts with no repentance in them. He got together with, uh, what was the uh, weatherman's name? Don, Don Woods. Don Woods, and produced a tract. And the difference with this tract and just about every other tract out there was that repentance was part of the, the whole process of telling people about Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we have... Uh, I believe this is one of the reasons why they say that the gospel is, is a mile wide and an inch deep in Africa, is that we have, we have shared, hey, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Just pray this prayer, and you can be part of the kingdom. And the fact of the matter is, uh, Jesus promised new life, but there is no new life until we're ready to give up on the old one. And this concept of repentance, of exchange of life, is something that's desperately needed. I've got a picture of me sharing the gospel in a church here, um, this, in this church. And I've done this in a lot of churches where I go and basically my message is to share on how repentance and faith are connected. And I'll do that in a church and I'll find people in lots of churches they have never repented. They have never actually exchanged their life for God's life. And, and they're just playing the motions. They're in the motions of being church people. Twelve people, twelve young people came to Christ in that church that morning when I just, just simply shared on repentance and faith. The message. Oftentimes, we want to substitute um, a... Uh, what shall I say, a, a summary of the gospel rather than actually sharing the gospel. You know, we think gospel, and I ask my students often, what's the gospel? 
And they said, well, that Jesus came and died for our sins. I said, yeah, yeah, that's part of the gospel. But there's a reason why we have four books in the New Testament called Gospels. And we're going to look at that a little bit more a little bit later on here. The fourth thing that's essential is the model. It's Jesus. Jesus is our model. We just need to follow him. Now, that's very clear in the Gospel of John, uh, that what, what he recorded there. But we want to, I want to look at it also in Matthew. And so that's what we're going to go to now. We're going to go back to Matthew, and I want to look at two things, uh, two parts of this uh, Great Commission in the book of Matthew. How should, first of all, how should we understand the command to go? I've already spoken about this at TCF, but I thought it bared repeating. Um, what does it mean? How should we understand the command to go? And I think there are two extremes. Two extremes that we need to avoid. The first one is to take away the imperative. And I've, I've never heard any Bible scholar or translator do this, but I have heard a number of preachers take out the command. Uh, they say, well, this is a participle. It's as you go or while you're going. As, you know, if you happen to be going there, then, uh, then make disciples there. Um, and this is a misuse of the Greek. The, it's true. It's a participle. It's not, it's not in a command form in the Greek. But participles are used in, Jim, you probably know, 23, 24, 26 ways, depending on what Greek grammarian you, you, you study. Participles are used for a number of ways, and here it actually is used to replace a, an imperative. And the reason a participle is used is because it's got to be connected to making disciples. Disciples is the main verb. And so you have this participle that says you also need to go to do this. Uh, Matthew uses this uh, kind of Greek idiom about 26 times, I think, in his, in his gospel where he uses a participle and then, the, and then the imperative. And every time it's translated as an imperative as well. Just like uh, he told his disciples just a few verses before this, go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Now, we're never going to translate and say, if you happen to see his disciples, tell them he's risen from the dead. <laughs> Going is absolutely essential to, 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 to do it. And making disciples of all nations, it's absolutely essential to go in order to get the job done. You can't send it. Okay. Uh, the second uh, error that I've heard, an extreme thing I've heard on this, is to make it an individual command. Each one of you go and make disciples of all nations. That's not what it says either. I've heard missionaries uh, put the guilt trip on everyone and say, we, you know, are you going to obey this command or not? Are you going to go to all the nations and preach the gospel or not? Uh, that's not what it says. This is actually a corporate command. The, the, in English, we don't have a singular and a plural there uh, for go. You don't have go plural, go, go singular. This is go plural. Uh, this, is you, this is your job. Disciples, church, this is your job. And this is a corporate command. That's why I used Coca-Cola in the beginning, because that's a corporate decisions are made there. Uh, I learned about corporate uh, watching 
the office. Um, my knowledge of corporate business is about as good as that. But anyway, I tried to think about it. Uh, how does a, a corporation make decisions to be uh, to, for worldwide expansion? So I was thinking about Coca-Cola and, and how, how did they do this? How did they get 96% of the world to recognize their logo? How do they sell one Coca-Cola product to every person on the planet every four days? Uh, so I came up with some things about that. Um, first of all, they had to develop a solid company from which expansion is possible. Uh, if the, the, if the, the base company is not, not solid, you can't, you can't expand. Now, some of you guys who've had business majors and so forth, you're, gonna, you're just going to tear this down. But, you, you know, you can get... you guys, Guys that know that stuff, you can just build on this in the weeks to come, okay? Um, then there has to be strategic planning, you know, uh, for overseas expansion. Where are we going to go? When we're going to do it? How are we going to do it? Somebody, somebody has to do that. And in the church, somebody has to do that. And that's usually mission agencies that, that, that do that in the church. We have to train personnel for overseas. In the church, that's done by the local church. And that's done by Bible institutes. That's done by a number of groups. We have to train people. And that has to be done here. You, you know, a lot of times, so a lot of missionaries have come out from this church. Now, you have the privilege of, of, of being a magnet church for missionaries. Uh, missionary, uh, missionaries hear about this church. You can hear about this church all around the world. And this is a magnet church. Missionaries are drawn here because... These are people that understand missions, that believe in missions, that support missions. Um, so you don't have to train them all. They, they're, they're coming to you. But the church does. The church has to train these people uh, that, that are involved in overseas expansion. Um, and, and we need to think about that as a church and, and do it uh, intentionally. Okay? We, we have to have capital investment uh, in order to start something in another place another, that, that maybe doesn't want that. You know, so there's capital investment. So that's why you take up offerings, and that's why uh, you have an announcement this morning to tell, uh, tell a little bit about how it's done. Um, somebody has to, has to pay for this. Uh, you know, it doesn't happen. And so you take funds out of the uh, established part of the corporation to begin someplace where it's not established. It's an investment. It's an investment that you will hope will give eternal returns. Um, you need to send personnel overseas to get branches started. Well, that's, what, that's who we are. Now, I'll just give you a clue. In corporations, they give big incentives for people like that. <laughs> because they know not everybody wants to do that. So if you give the big incentives, more people want to do it. Now, I'm not suggesting that you do that. Um, Corporations do it, and people go overseas to make money, and that's not the reason we would go over there. I'm not sure you could pay me enough to do what I do, uh, but I, I believe that the Lord will reward me for what I do. And so I, you know, I do have some incentives uh, for what I do, um, and I think they're, they're pretty good. You know, the Lord's pretty good at that. Provide training for overseas personnel. Um, that's what we do at Fatia. We're tra providing training for these overseas personnel 
who are going to take over. They're going to do a whole lot more. You know, usually from the, uh, you know, when you send out personnel to start up a corporation someplace else, you're not going to send the whole group, you know, well, how many people do we need to produce Coca-Cola in Cote d'Ivoire? Well, probably a couple thousand. So can we find a couple of thousand American employees to send over there? No, they're not doing that. Uh, they only needed two people for what they're currently, that they're looking for, for their work in, in Cote d'Ivoire. And one of them was actually supposed to be over Cote d'Ivoire and Niger. Um, so we're not talking about sending everybody to one place to, to start something new. Now, it, it works a lot better, especially in the Muslim world, if you can have more than one. Because it gets pretty lonely. It gets pretty difficult uh, to do things. Um, you also, uh, let, me, let me just talk about one person while we're, while we're there, training. Uh, I have to give a few examples of, of, some, of my, some of our treasures. This is Musa Traore. You may have heard his name before by uh, Mike Bowling. Uh, Mike Bowling actually worked with Musa in, in translation and wanted to go back to Cote d'Ivoire to work in translation with uh, uh, Musa and his wife uh, in translation. Uh, Musa, I, we heard his story, and I don't remember all the details exactly, but if I don't get them right, it's, they're probably right for somebody over there, okay? Um, Musa, I believe, came to the Lord through a campus ministry. And he came to the Lord, started growing as a Christian, began getting involved in the church. He's from a Muslim area, a Muslim tribe, a Muslim village in northern Cote d'Ivoire. And he, he came to the Lord when he went to school, I think in the capital. And the, at one point, though, he, he needed to go back to his village, back to his family. He wanted to share with his family about his new life in Christ. And so he went back to his village and he uh, shared with his family. Of course, they're up in arms. You know, this is, uh, he's rejected the family. He's rejected the, the, the whole village and so forth. And so his, his family uh, then takes it to the village elder, elders and the imam of the area and um, asks, you know, what are we going to do about our son, you know, who, who has rejected Islam and is now a Christian? And so the village elders... Uh, call Musa and bring him in, and so he's got to sit before the elders, and, and, uh, and he's, he's scared to death. You know, what are they going to do? Are they going to kill me? Are, are they going to cast me out? Am I going to be uh, no longer here? So the, the village elders bring him in and, and said, we, we've heard you've become a Christian. Tell us why. Tell us why you became a Christian. And so Musa shares his testimony, and he shares with him about what Christ has done in his life. And the imam gets up. I, I, I forgot one fact. Um, Musa's dad was the first one from their tribe to become a Muslim. It was through his family that this village was, became Muslim. Before that, they, they were uh, animist. So when Musa went back and explained what had happened to him, they listened to him a whole lot more. Islam came to that village through his family. And now Christianity is coming to that village through his family. It's too bad Islam got there first. Um, the imam got up and he said, you know, Islam, Islam has really not been working for us. We've decided 
to become Christian. So tell us how. Well, Musa had come to the Lord through this campus group. And so he says, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You can't decide as a group to become Christian. Each individual needs to give his life to Christ and accept Jesus personally into his heart. He had the wording right, right? That sounds really good evangelical stuff. Later on, Musa felt the call, and he came to Fatiak. And he studied at Fatiak for, I believe, four years. He wanted to be, be a translator, and he wanted to be a missionary in, among his own people group in northern Cote d'Ivoire. Um, he now realizes that he missed an opportunity there. He could have had a people movement in his village, of a whole village coming to Christ. But he had just kind of a... a a uh, little nugget of the gospel, a, a kind of uh, gospel short version, which we're really good at at exporting, uh, this short version of the gospel. And he didn't really have an understanding of the impact that the gospel can have uh, through people movements. So he, he learned that at Fatiak, along with the, a lot of Greek and Hebrew and how to translate principles and so forth, and now he's back with his people, and he's hoping to see that people movement now, that he's sharing the gospel, and that's him preaching in his home village. Well, you know, uh, the company also needs to provide a support network for their overseas personnel. That's the prayer. They need to provide supervisory personnel for overseas operations. I could go on and on. My, my point in all this is that in this corporation that we call the body of Christ, there are all kinds of functions that are necessary to get the job done of making disciples of all nations. First of all, those disciples have to be made here. You have to be a disciple before you can make a disciple. And when we go and make disciples, uh, there is all kinds of support structure and things that have to take place for that to happen. And we each have a part to play in that. All of us have a part to play in that. Well, let's go on to, back to Matthew. I forget how long I'm supposed to take here, but they always tell me just, you know, as the Lord leads you, and then I, I wonder what they say, what the wives say at home, you know. Why do you let that guy speak that long? Let's look at a couple of questions on Matthew's version. That's the second question. The first question was, how do we understand the word go? Second question is, how do you understand the word make disciples? I have people that I respect that will just tell me, well, that part, you know, first of all, you lead them to Christ and then you make, and then that's the Great Commission, is to lead people to Christ. Uh, the Great Commission is, is so much more than that. It's making disciples. And uh, the book of Matthew provides us with a whole lot of context for that. In fact, I believe, along with a lot of other interpreters, that this book is actually a discipleship manual. That it was put together to instruct people in how to pay, make disciples. Um, Jesus... Uh, Ministry is presented in, in, in two parts. 
The first part is the proclamation part. And it says in 417 that he began to preach the kingdom of God is near. And his proclamation is also in two parts. His proclamation is in word and in deed. So you have the, the Sermon on the Mount that teaches pre- kingdom principles. What was Jesus teaching his disciples at the end? Things about the kingdom. You've got kingdom pr- principles in the Sermon on the Mount, and then you've got these miracle stories that accompany this preaching of the kingdom. Matthew has, about five, has five different long teaching sessions that are not in any of the other uh, Gospels. And these long teaching sessions, one of them you know real well, is the Sermon on the Mount. And then the, the second one, the second teaching uh, part of it, is instructions for kingdom outreach. That's in chapter 10. And in chapter 10, what he does is he tells his disciples to do what he just did. And that's to preach the gospel. Kingdom of heaven is, is come near, has come near. And to, he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. That is Jesus' missionary instructions, his outreach instructions. Preach the gospel, raise the dead. Uh, he, He did it in word and deed. He expects us to do it in word and deed. He expects uh, his church to proclaim the message by the by word. Doesn't do it's not enough just to go uh, have miracles. If you have miracles without the word, people don't know what to do with the miracles. They'll interpret them in their own fashion. Uh, but to proclaim the message and at the same time provide the proof, provide the proof that this is the message of Jesus Christ that that he is the the Lord of the earth. Um, And you can only do that in a church setting, in in a group of Christians that you train each other in this. Now, you believe in all this. You practice it. I believe it's still a message that we need. It's still a message that we need because it's it's too too, uh, easy to settle for less. Um, it's too easy to become complacent and say, well, we believe in that, and occasionally we see something uh, that God does, but we are not diligent enough to seek God and continue to seek God that he will continue to do that among us. This church was built on that. And a lot of you came to Christ through uh, powerful manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and I know you believe in it, and but oftentimes we we're, when we pray for miracles we're 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 praying for ourselves you know because I'm sick or because my wife is sick or because you know and we definitely want to pray for those kind of things but in my bible most of the time when i see miracles it has to do with outreach it has to do with reaching the lost because uh, let's face it, if, even if we get sick and die, which all of us, that will happen to every single one of us in this room unless Jesus comes back, uh, before that happens, um, we're going to go to heaven. That's not the worst thing that can happen to us. Um, and I don't understand why God does things one time and he doesn't do it another time, and I'm not going to be able to explain that to you. But I do see both in experience and in the scriptures that God does a lot more of this when he's trying to reach the loss. Um, and that's how I-
sorry. I could blame that on the Holy Spirit, but I won't. <laughs> Enough said. The second portion of the discipleship training that we find in the book of Matthew is training in self-sacrifice. The second part of the book, which begins in chapter 16, Jesus begins to share with his disciples that he must suffer, be persecuted, die, and be raised the third day. And you know how it happens. Peter says, no, 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 that's not going to happen. We're going to prevent that. Everything's going to be all right, Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter some very comforting words, get behind me, Satan. Because this self-sacrifice is a part of discipleship making. And he trains his disciples. You can just find it in episode after episode. The disciples don't get it. They're wanting to be kingdom kids and rule the nations. Jesus wants them to give their lives for the gospel. And that's what he wants of us, making disciples. Well, I could go on, and I hope you will, study this discipleship manual of how to make disciples. How do we apply these commands to our lives? The expansion of the kingdom to all nations is a corporate mandate, which involves the entire body of Christ. All of us are responsible for accomplishing this task that Jesus gave us. He not only gave it to us, he was preoccupied with it. Preoccupied with it. He could hardly say anything else that got remembered in those last 40 days with his disciples. The basic thing they remembered, oh yeah, we need to do the same thing Jesus did throughout the world. It's a corporate mandate. It involves all of us. Secondly, every Christian and every local church must seek the Lord concerning what part they are to play in the realization of this mandate. Now, that's going to be different for different churches, for different people. Um, just like you have different branches of Coca-Cola and they don't all do the same thing and different branches of, in the corporate structure of things and they don't all do the same things. We're not all going to do the same things. But we're all going to be involved in fulfilling the Great Commission. And if we're not, we're missing the boat. And it's not a simple thing to, find, to discern what we need to do. It's not simple. That's why you have to seek. That's why you not only have to ask God and keep on asking him, you have to seek God and keep on seeking him until you have an understanding of what's your place. Every single gift and talent in this room, God put there for a purpose. And that purpose is to extend his kingdom throughout the earth. 
And if you don't have a, uh, an assurance that you've found that, it's hard for you. I, I feel bad for you. I feel like I have that. I, have, I know, you know, well, it's easy for you. You're a missionary. Yeah. Well, it, it, sh- it should be easy for all of us and hard for all of us. You know, even though I'm a missionary now, I still have to listen to God. I can't just say, all right, I got it 40 years ago. I just continue. In a way, I can because I know what gifts he's given me and I know what tasks he has placed before me. But at the same time, I still have to keep listening because uh, different memos get sent. And if I miss the memo, I'm missing where God wants me. You know, I, I, I have to believe when I look at the world that we live in, there's a lot of people missing the memos. So this, this church is wonderful. You guys do a great job. And basically what I'm here is to pat you on the back and say, keep it up. But don't get complacent. You know, you got to keep seeking. Because there's, uh, there, there's no end to the good that you can do. There's no end because that good will continue throughout eternity. Don't limit God's gifts and his callings to your personal inclinations. You've got to listen to him and seek him. You know, um, often they'll talk about in missions about people who who has a church planting gift. You know, how do you figure that out? Unless you try to plant a church. Um, how do you know what gifts you have, or what? Because we're not just talking about what you're good at. We're talking about what God can do through you. And so many times, people just think I could never do that. And my response is, neither could I. Uh, power of the Holy Spirit that He wants to use us. I think I'm going to stop, because otherwise, you know, I'll, I'll hear about it later. My wife will tell me you're way too long. <laughs> and since this, this is our Valentine's uh, trip, I, I better just listen to my wife and stop. God bless you. Thank you. <laughs>